1: apostolic ministry and when we refer to apostolic ministry we are advocating that we shift to a paradigm um, that we see in the new testament we see in the ministry of jesus and the apostles and i think there's a great need today for us to get back to biblical foundations and to do things scripturally And uh, because, you know, the word is very clear that the foundation of the church is, according to Ephesians 2.20, is the apostles and prophets. And then in 1 Corinthians 12.28, it says that the Lord has set in the church, first of all, or firstly, apostles, secondarily, um, prophets and teachers and so on. So we, we need to build on the right foundation. We'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, I want to just refer to one verse in John's gospel. These are the words of Jesus in John chapter 17, verse eight. This is what he said to his disciples. He was actually praying, remember, and he was praying to his father. And, and this is what he said. He said, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And the word sent is apostolo in the Greek language. So the idea is to send forth. So when we talk about being apostolic, We're not talking about a title like, okay, all of a sudden now I'll call myself an apostle instead of a pastor. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't have uh, I think we need to recognize the fivefold ministry and affirm that I know in some cultures, people, uh, the culture is more uh, advocating of titles. And they, it's part of respect, and I get that. I understand that. In other cultures, people uh, don't use titles too often, so I understand either way. But what I'm not advocating titles. I'm not saying that that we need to just simply use titles here. Uh, I'm not saying that you know we we just tell say we're apostolic. We put up a name, a sign, and say we're apostolic or whatever. There's so much revelation in the New Testament regarding what it means to be apostolic. And let me just say that obviously apostles are uh, needed to establish apostolic culture. But when we talk about apostolic, we're not just referring to recognizing apostles either. There has to be. A real sense in which the church embraces the apostolic model of ministry, and also uh, the values of being apostolic. So sometimes I'll refer to it as apostolic culture, apostolic community. So God's people are called to be apostolic. In other words, and of course, we're called to to function uh, prophetically. We're we're called to function in miracles we're called to make disciples, and so on and so forth. But the very first thing the New Testament teaches about the apostle and the apostolic is is the priority of the apostolic. It's not about hierarchy. It's not about authority, like, I'm an apostle, you need to submit to me, even though there's obviously authority in God's church, and there is even, in a sense, hierarchy in in, uh, the place that Scripture is very clear. You know, God has called us to to move into a place where we really recognize and affirm um, the place of leadership. That's so important. But what we're advocating is a culture in which God's people step into their destiny and they begin to fulfill their purpose on the earth, not only as individuals, but in as a body, God is trying, wanting to raise up a body that, according to Ephesians 4, you know, it says it talks about the unity of the faith and that we mature and we become essentially a body that represents the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ Himself. So when the world encounters the incarnation of Christ in His body, we're going to experience great. Um, great grace. You know, we're going to see miracles. We're going to experience a harvest on the earth. This is very important, but we have to build things properly. We have to um, construct on the bedrock or the foundation of the apostolic, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at seven paradigms of apostolic ministry. There may be more. I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list, that this is all conclusive. I'm just saying these are seven essential elements. These are critical components of being apostolic. And in this time, and obviously what I'm about to say is going to date the video, but in this time of COVID-19, you know, we're experiencing a second wave in many nations of the world here in North America we are in lockdown again in Canada, partial lockdown at this point. And um, most churches are not operating here in Canada in terms of gathering. You know, some places you're not allowed to gather at all. Others, you you can have 20 people here in Vancouver. We are allowed 50 people maximum. And so it's a very different time. And And I think the pandemic has caused us to have to rethink our ministry, how we're doing ministry and uh, in in terms of being effective. So part of what I'm advocating today is that we shift to an apostolic model that essentially releases and raises up people to be able to do ministry, not just in a church building, but in the world as Jesus intended, because we have to remember Jesus didn't have a church building, did he? and and he traveled. He went around. His disciples walked with him in real time, in real life, and yet he was so effective in, in discipling them and raising them up, and they started off as disciples, but eventually um, they became apostles, the 12 of them. So, you know, recent studies have said that in many nations of the world— that a, a lot of a high percentage of people that previously attended local churches regularly before the COVID 19 pandemic are not going to come back ever. In North America, statistics vary, but I've heard 20 to 40% they're not coming back. Now, we've been living in a time, particularly in Western nations, where uh, attending church has become less and less a priority in people's lives. You know, also with globalism, people previously traveling, the breakdown of the family, so that as as a result of divorce and and now sharing custody in the Western nations, what you've got going on is one weekend, you know, dad has the kids. So <clears throat> there's there's just a sense in which um there's many things that have contributed to church attendance being a priority it's it's before the pandemic well since the pandemic's happened it's gotten even worse it's more pronounced and uh, obviously people who are vulnerable people that are afraid are not attending church um, because of the restriction on, on seating capacity and the limitations that the limits that have been set there's a lot of people that haven't come back You know, in your part of the world, it may not be that bad. I don't know. But this is a reality in many places. But the bottom line is I spoke with a pastor friend of mine the other day who lives in Kenya. Pastor Moses, maybe, you know, I don't know if you know where Chuka is. It's east of Nairobi, I believe. There's a university there. I was was there just over a year ago, and he told me, he has a large congregation, that Most of the people are not interested in coming to church. They're staying away. And he's been very discouraged, to be honest, about that. Uh, People are, are afraid. They're not interested in coming back. So I believe the shift to apostolic ministry is critical in this hour, that if we're going to really be effective in reaching people with the gospel, we're going to have to Go back to the apostolic foundations. Another um, trend or phenomenon that we're experiencing right now is an aversion to institutionalism related to religion. In other words, there are a lot of people who just don't like the uh, institutional church. They they just are, have had it with church politics denominations you know and so on they many people in the world are very open to the gospel they embrace jesus and they're open to learn about jesus but they just don't like the institution of church and this is becoming more and more common and of course in western nations we are seeing a serious decline in people that actually profess to be Christians. Um, you know, there's there's less and less people that are professing to be believers. There are places here in Canada that we have very few uh, Bible-believing Christians. You know, for example, in the province of Quebec, which is French-speaking by and large, we have very few Christians. You know, in the city of Montreal, we have, I heard, about uh, 2% um, are actually Christians. So what that means is, you know, we, we have very, very few people that are actually Christians. So when it comes to—excuse um, me, I'm just trying to let someone in. This isn't working. Let me try again. You know, they also say that uh, we have— In and again just referring to quebec here for a moment uh 0.5 percent of the people that live in the province of quebec in canada profess to be evangelical christians so this is changing maybe in your country it's it's not typically those who live in the southern hemisphere south america africa um southeast asia typically that's where the growth is happening things have changed in the world and it's an interesting trend but we still clearly have a challenge before us and so the way forward i believe is we need to in this season recalibrate we need to go back so we can move forward and what i mean by that is we need to perhaps tear up the foundations of how we've been doing ministry, how we've been doing church, and rebuild on the right foundations. And I believe that Jesus clearly gave us wisdom and revelation. He talked about that in Matthew 16, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the ecclesia, and um, that he has given us keys to bind, to loose, and so I believe that part of the that, in terms of the keys that He's given to us, is actually revelation—how to do things the, the appropriate way. Because when you look at that chapter closely, you're going to see that Jesus was very clear that we've been called to understand the ways of the kingdom. We've been called to move forward and uh, build according to the pattern or the blueprints. You know, Paul talked about how he was a wise master builder in 1 Corinthians, and the word in Greek basically means an architect. So an architect has blueprints, and so we build according to the blueprints. We build according to the New Testament pattern, the pattern that Jesus gave us. We see that um, also kind of progressing and and unfolding in greater revelation through the ministry of the Apostle Paul as well. So one of the things I just want to say is some of I've heard many people say this, and I'm, I'm sure you have as well, that um, the message doesn't need to change. All that needs to change in this day and age is actually the methodology. In other words, what we preach, there's nothing wrong with it. It's how we do ministry has to change. You know, And, and missiologists talk about that, and they call it contextualizing the gospel. And Paul said, I become all things to all men that I may perhaps win some, right? To the Jew, I become as a Jew, to the Greek or a Gentile, I become as a Gentile. I understand that. I get that. But I am advocating in this season in which we live that the message needs to change. Now let me let me just define what I'm meaning by that because some people say, well, the gospel cannot change well, let me say, I agree. The gospel does not need to change. The gospel is the word of God, and it is unchanging. It's immutable. But ultimately, what we've been preaching uh, is, is not necessarily what the New Testament teaches, what Jesus taught, what the apostles taught. So I'm advocating that we not only change our methods, our uh, strategies and our approaches to ministry that we shift there, but also that we need to really get a hold of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which is called the gospel of the kingdom. So we need to go back so we can move forward. We need to recalibrate to the original message and mandate, not just the mandate, but the message as well. And when we read the book of Acts, When when we read it, it's apparent that the first century followers of Jesus made a profound impact on the world. The apostles were powerfully used by God in a pagan environment in the Gentile, in the Roman Greco world, where there were no believers, essentially. Acts 17.6 says of the apostles, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too, so the world was being turned upside down according to the Gentiles, uh, but in reality, God was trying to turn things right side up. The Jesus talked about traditions, the traditions of men, and how detrimental and counterproductive they are to what God wants to do. Uh, Mark seven thirteen. Listen to this: You have made the word of God of none effect through your tradition which you've handed down wow think about that you've made the word of god of none effect through your tradition which you have handed down that is amazing that the same word that spoke the universe into existence the same word that you know called lazarus out of the grave the we can actually make that word of none effect in our lives And even, listen to this, even in the lives of others, because Jesus continued, and he said in Matthew 23, verse 13, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees there, that they were not entering the kingdom, even though they felt they were the, you know, the, the ones who, who had the, the truth, the purveyors of, of religious truth, and others were not going in as well. What a terrible reality. So we really need to make sure that we are not building our ministries on the traditions of men. Are we building on the revelation of Christ, or are we building on the traditions of men? Many times, I believe it is the latter. We we uh, believe that by grace we're saved. And perhaps we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we may even believe in fivefold ministry, but ultimately. When it comes to extending God's kingdom on the earth and seeing the church grow and advance, I believe that in many places, often the majority of us have been doing it through what we've learned, what's been passed down to us by religious tradition, by our denominational uh, paradigms, and so on. So we must discard religious traditions and build on the foundation of revelation of Christ and his mission. Matthew 24, 14, I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. Listen to this, Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's what Jesus said. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So, these two um, passages of scripture, you know, we, we refer to the latter passage, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as the Great Commission, where Jesus said essentially to make disciples of the nations. Matthew 24, 14 is where our Lord and Savior, Told his disciples. In fact, he answered their query. They had asked him in Matthew twenty-four, verse three, "What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age?" And Jesus basically talked about signs and you know earthquakes, famines, and and all of these things, even plagues. But then he said in verse fourteen, "When the gospel of the kingdom is preached as a witness to all the nations of the world, we're going to see the end." come to pass, which is the sign of his coming and of the end of the age. So it's when the gospel of the kingdom is preached. So what I'm saying is we need to understand the gospel of the kingdom. It's so important that we understand the gospel of the kingdom. And we're going to go into this in, in a little bit of depth this, this morning or this evening, wherever you are in the world. But let's start going into the seven elements of the apostolic, the seven essential elements of the apostolic. Um, as I said, things need to change in terms of the message and also our methodology. So not only what we're preaching, but also um, the, the kingdom of God is not in word, right? It's in power. So, so we need a demonstration of the fullness of the kingdom. <coughs> Excuse me, but the current model of doing church, I really believe it's got to change or we're going to face extin- extension more and more we are seeing people who've been part of, um, you know, religious churches, uh, countries and nations that have a history like Europe. Um, look at what's happened in Western Europe. So many uh, European nations have turned from the Lord, and it's truly uh, a post-Christian culture. And even what some would say a pre-Christian culture now thank god for what's going on there is uh still a move of the spirit happening but by and large they've shifted from their spiritual moorings so we we have to recognize that a lot of what we have espoused has been traditions and and they're not necessarily wrong that's the thing i want to be clear about some traditions are good they're biblical but what has happened is we went to a certain place and then we just kind of stopped and we, we no longer progressed into the fullness of the revelation that the Lord wants us to walk in. <clears throat> you know, there's a scripture, um, a few I think it's one verse, it's in Isaiah 30, and it talks about how the light of the moon will be as the sun and the light of the sun will be seven times brighter. When you read that passage in Isaiah, he's actually talking about revelation, and I really believe that we're living in a time when God is giving the church an increasing and unfolding revelation. It's always been there in the Scripture, but there, there's just a sense in which the Holy Spirit is really challenging people to to really dig deep, to uncover the hidden mysteries, and and, the, and to really redig those foundations. That are in the New Testament, and so that's the first thing that we have to do is we need a strong apostolic foundation. As I mentioned, you know, Ephesians two twenty says the church uh, is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Ephesians four eleven, we know God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to the church. First Corinthians twelve twenty eight says that God is set in the church. First of all, or firstly, apostles, secondarily, prophets. Very interestingly, the current paradigm of ministry that we see in many places in the world is a pastoral paradigm. Churches have been built on the foundation of pastors. We need pastors. We'll talk about that. But pastors are not to lay foundation. That's not what the New Testament teaches. We have people that, um, you know, perhaps they're really pastors, but they're being touted or, or labeled or affirmed and recognized as apostles, but they're not. And of course, uh, conversely, we have those who are called pastors who are really apostles. So we we need to recognize both. It's very, very important. But let's look at this this truth that the foundation has to be right as paul said in first corinthians 3 10 according to the grace of god which was given to me as a wise master builder i have laid the foundation and listen to this i have laid the foundation and another builds on it but let each take heed how he builds on it so he's saying, I've laid the foundation as an apostle, but someone else builds on it. And really, this is important that we recognize that in the New Testament, apostles are foundation layers. And typically, when you look at Paul's ministry, you will see that um, Paul, the longest he ever stayed anywhere was three years. You know, he stayed in Corinth for 18 months, and, and he was in Antioch for over a year. He did travel in and out of Antioch and Syria. But in, he spent three years in Ephesus, and uh, his his role was really equipping, training, and, and establishing others, and he recognized that his primary role as an apostle was that of a foundation layer. So apostles are pioneers. That's really important. They establish, they lay foundations, they go first, they take territory, they break new ground, they start new works, they lay foundation so that others can build upon it. And they build and establish the church in the foundational truths of of the gospel as well. Very, very important. When it says the Lord is set in the church, first of all, apostles, it's the Greek word proton. Proton means firstly in time, place, order, or importance. So the idea here is it's more about priority versus authority, So the idea is that in terms of priority, when you're going to build a house, when you're going to build uh, an apartment or a structure of some sort, the most important thing is the foundation. The foundation goes first. And if the foundation is not strong enough, if it's not big enough, it's going to affect the, the project, the construction of whatever it is that you're building. So When it talks about apostles being first, it really is speaking of the priority or the preeminence of the foundation being started and laid by apostles. So it's foundational. It's not hierarchical. And one thing I want to also say is it's paternal, not dictatorial. So apostles often are they're like fathers and they function in that fatherly role. And of course, women can be apostles. I believe so. Anyways, Let's talk about the next phase here, which is the apostolic message. The apostolic message is really simply stated, as I mentioned, that it's the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus told us to preach the gospel of the kingdom. When you read uh, the book of Acts and you see Paul in particular, you will see that he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. When he was in Ephesus, for example, for three years in a very dark and pagan place, the Bible is clear that he taught them the kingdom. He preached and taught the kingdom of God to them as well. Now, we're talking about apostolic centers and the difference. I I will touch on this a little bit if you didn't see the previous teaching we did we spent a lot more time making the distinction between a traditional church a modern conventional church even might be a good church is reaching people it's effective but there's still some things that are um, you know out out of alignment with the New Testament way of doing things um, then we talked about apostolic churches and then apostolic centers I'll briefly cover that but I just want to say that, Apostolic centers are essentially, um, to give you an example of that, I think the church in Jerusalem was an apostolic center, but unfortunately they didn't prioritize reaching um, the people beyond Jerusalem, Judea, right? And, of course, there was a persecution and Stephen, after the death of Stephen, that caused the believers to be expelled and driven out. And eventually they went to the Gentiles. And we see the establishment of the church in Antioch in Syria in Acts chapter 11 and 13. But um, when Paul goes out and he he ministers, you know, the we see him eventually he lands in Antioch. And there he and Barnabas receive an apostolic commissioning, and they go out. And, you know, their title shifts at that point. They're no longer referred to as teachers and prophets in the church, but they're referred to as apostles. Paul referred to himself in Timothy I believe it both in First and Second Timothy. He referred to himself as three ways. He used three titles. He said, "I am an apostle." He said, "I am a teacher."
0: 10 for $10 is back at Meyer. This week, buy 10 items, get the 11th free, and get it delivered right to your door with free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. Save on Progresso or Campbell's tomato or chicken noodle soup, Chex Mix, Green Giant Frozen Vegetables, or Meyer Facial Tissue. All 10 for $10. Get the 11th free. Meyer is here to help you save more and spend less. And with 10 for $10, get the 11th free and free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. You can stock up on everything you need. Exclusions apply. See all the deals in the Meyer app.
1: And then he said, and I'm a herald. And some some people said, well, herald means evangelist. Well, <clears throat> no, it doesn't. There's a different word for evangelist in the Greek. Herald is, is a different word. So herald is one who proclaims on behalf of a king as an official spokesman. So Paul refers to himself as an apostle, a sent one, authorized, sent out, And he teaches. He was he was a teacher, but he was a herald proclaiming the kingdom of God, which is, by the way, is what Jesus did. Jesus went; he was sent by his father. He went around doing good, so that means he was an apostle. Is of course the chief apostle. Jesus was a teacher; he taught the people, and ultimately he proclaimed the kingdom, healed the sick, and and so on. So we see that uh, Corinth. I'm sorry. Antioch in itself be, kind of becomes a prototype of an apostolic center. But then when Paul goes to Corinth, he stays there for 18 months. and The Lord appears to him, right? He's he's not planning on staying there. He's just going to continue to travel. And his first missionary journey went to different places, um, start, preached the gospel, gathered the disciples, taught them for a season. And then what ends up happening is he and Barnabas with prayer and fasting appoint elders now the interesting thing is these elders are new believers (laughs) at that time and but nevertheless they appoint them later on paul advises against his uh practice in the in his early days where he says in first timothy 3 not to appoint a novice or a new believer so i believe he he learned a better way and uh, you know, and Timothy also says, "Don't lay hands suddenly on anyone. Don't ordain people hastily into ministry." In other words, but um, he does stay in Corinth for eighteen months, and many great leaders are um, and and disciples are come out of that his time in Corinth for eighteen months. So he really focuses on staying there, raising up people, equipping them, and then sending them out. Well, on his third journey, he goes to Ephesus in. Um, in in uh, Asia Minor, and he stays there for three years, and the Bible says that all of Ephesus heard the word of the Lord. There was a great move of God's spirit. Many c- people came to the Lord, and I believe we see the example of him in the lecture hall or the school of Tyrannus. He's making disciples. He's teaching. He's training. We see he's meeting in homes, Acts 20, verse 20. You know, he, he's equipping and training, and I really believe he, sh- he shifted away from Planning churches, um, even though they're apostolic churches, to starting an apostolic center where he equipped and trained and sent out others to do the ministry. So that, in short, is the distinction between an apostolic church and an apostolic center. The gospel of the kingdom is what Jesus said we're to preach. The apostolic message is proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom. Luke 9, 1 and 2, Jesus calls 12 disciples. He gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out is what it says. So to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So he sends them out to preach the kingdom to heal the sick. So not only to declare the kingdom, but to demonstrate the kingdom. Matthew 24 as I mentioned, they asked Jesus, what would be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? He says in verse 14, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all nations, then you're going to see the end will come. Second Peter three, verse 12 is an interesting verse. Paul, I'm sorry, Peter is talking about the end and he's referring to the earth being burned up and so on and new heavens, new earth and. And then he says, basically, so what type, what should our response be? How do we respond in light of the fact that one day, you know, the, the the earth is going to be burned by fire? And he says this in the King James, New King James, he says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Some other translations say, um looking for and accelerating speeding it along hurrying it up so we can actually hurry up the coming of the day of god is what it says so accelerate anticipating and accelerating the coming of the day of god so how do we do that well matthew twenty four fourteen, we preach the gospel of the kingdom to all the nations and then the end will come so that really, um, in order to be effective, we have to understand a couple of things, um, and we'll, we'll go into this next in terms of apostolic mission, what it means to impact nations, because the mission of the church is nations, And and we have to get that right. It's not just ministering to the same old believers. We have an apostolic mission. You know, Jesus said, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, it's so you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. So if you think that while missions, as we call missions, is just for a few people, um, that's not at all the truth. Missions isn't for a few people. Missions is the mission of the church. The church is called to make sure the gospel of the kingdom is preached as a witness to all the nations. The second thing we need to understand is what the, the, actual, um, co- the actual content or the core of the gospel of the kingdom. You know, there's a lot of people today that, that talk about the kingdom, but there's no power Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.20 that the kingdom of God is not in word, logos, but it's in power, dunamis. The word dunamis is translated, you know, when Jesus went to Nazareth and it says he was not able to do any mighty works there. Some modern English translations say he was not able to do any miracles there. That's the word dunamis, and we know it means power, and sometimes we say dynamite, dynamite power, but it also means miracles. So the gospel of the kingdom has miracles, signs and wonders following it. So today we have certainly there's a false gospel that's being preached throughout the world. You know, we have cults like the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and others that preach a false gospel, but there's also an incomplete gospel that's being preached, And when you read Romans 15, verses 18 and 19, Paul talks about how from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he fully proclaimed the gospel because he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit and with signs and wonders following. So the idea is really the Greek there. He's saying, I fulfilled the gospel because it wasn't just a message in word. But it was actually a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. so important. So the gospel of the kingdom is the gospel of the King's Dominion, the gospel that Jesus is King that all um, everything is is under his feet, right And we have access to that authority as his believers as well. So it's not just a message. It's not just in declaration, but it's in demonstration. And the church needs to step back into that, that we see the power of the kingdom of God manifested on the earth today with signs and wonders following. And this is really according to second Corinthians 12, verse 12, Paul talked about the signs of an apostle. He mentioned great perseverance. Apostles have to persevere, but he talked about miracles and demonstration of the kingdom with signs and wonders. So apostolic, um, message is the gospel of the kingdom. Next thing I want to just mention is apostolic mission. Then we'll take a break and we'll we'll have a you know some Q&A and hear from you guys. Apostolic mission, apostolic centers, espouse and enact the culture and the values of the kingdom. They espouse and enact. Sometimes there's a gap between what we espouse and what we enact. In other words, what we say and what we actually live they there's just no cohesiveness. So we might say one thing, but are we actually living that now in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, as I said, we often refer to this as the great commission. I want you just to, and and if you already know this, just bear with me. But if you're not aware of this, I think this is very important. You know, he talks about going into the world preaching the, you know, making disciples of the nations. And and this is so important. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Okay, so if you look at those two verses in English, it would seem that there are four verbs, four action words there. Go, baptize and teach, and make disciples. But in the reality, what we see here is uh, there's just really one commandment, and and the commandment is make disciples. Go, baptize, and teach are participles in the Greek language, and a participle supports the primary um, action here, it's an imperative, a verbal imperative. So the commandment is to make disciples. Actually, in, in Greek, it just says disciple. And so we're to disciple the nations. How do we do that? By going, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey, not just teaching them theology, or but teaching them to obey the commandments of Jesus, what Jesus taught us. So this is very important. The Great Commission, therefore, is making disciples of nations not merely um, reaching the lost, seeing seeing conversions, but it's actually making disciples of the nations. And I want to refer to John 8, verses 30 through 32, because Jesus had been preaching a very strong message, and people were getting upset with him. Now, he's telling the religious people of his day, the Pharisees and that, that their father was the devil. (laughs) It was quite quite full on. And, um, yet what ends up happening is even though he's preaching a strong message, we're actually told in verse number 30, that as he was saying these things, many believed in him, many believed in him. Okay. Now notice that they're referred to as believers. Then verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him or who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now listen to this, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus said to the believers, basically, I'm glad you guys have believed. This is great, but there's more. You need to abide or continue in my teaching. And if you do that, then you're truly my disciples. And as you continue, you will know the truth. There will be an increasing revelation. You'll experience more and more revelation and uh, of the truth, and that will result in you becoming uh, more free, just a greater level of freedom that's going to happen in your life as a result of that. So Jesus is advocating that we move away from just sending people to believe, and we make our primary focus to disciple people, to make disciples of the nation. So I'll talk about what that means to be a disciple, but let's first of all talk about nations, because this is where we've, we've got things wrong. And, and let me say something um, to us today. I really believe the two most critical elements of shifting our ministries and churches to the apostolic is the message of the kingdom number one, and secondly, the mission of the church, which is making disciples of the nations. I believe those are the two most important things. You can do other things, but if you don't get that right, you are going to um, just kind of be spinning your wheels, and 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 you know, ultimately, we're not being obedient to what the Lord Jesus told us. Okay, so Jesus says, Matthew 28, right, 19, about go, therefore, make disciples of the nations. In the Greek language, it's ponta ta ethne, ponta ta ethne, or panta ta ethne. It literally means to disciple the ethnic or people groups. The word nations, ethne, means ethnic groups or people groups. In the world today, the United Nations rep uh, i bl- they recognize 195 countries they do not recognize taiwan is my understanding if you include taiwan there's 196 countries in the world the olympics um they recognize 206 nations however the The um, ethnic groups, when you look at ethnic groups in the world, there's actually around 16,000 different ethnic groups in our world today, more or less. This is just, you know, uh, an estimate of those 16,000 ethnic groups. Our English word nation, you know, you take India, for example, or you take Pakistan in these countries, it's one nation in terms of our English word. But in terms of ethnic groups, there are hundreds of different ethnic groups living in that one nation. Do you know in the United States that there are probably 350 different ethnic groups that are considered unreached? 270, I believe, unreached people groups of a population of 10,000 or more in the United States alone, unreached so missiologists refer to um, unreached peoples as UPGs, unreached people groups. And UPGs typically are what they call the thumb. Okay, the thumb. So thumb means tribal, Hindu, unreligious, Muslim, and Buddhist. Okay, so tribal, Hindu, unreligious, like um China, for example, Vietnam, some of those places, but China mostly where where you're not allowed to, you know, be religious and um, Muslim and Buddhist. Those are the primary unreached peoples of the world. Now, of the unreached peoples, the definition is 2% or less in an area are believers. And therefore, there's not enough of their own people, indigenous people, to be able to really impact where they live. Okay. So it's 2% or less. So there's a lot of places in the earth right now where there's 2% or less. So there's actually about seven, 6,900 of the 16,000 people groups are considered unreached in our world today. Then there's what missiologists refer to as UUPGs. UUPGs are unengaged unreached people groups. That means they have no churches. There's no known believers among them. There's no ministries active among them. There are currently around 3,000 UUPGs in the world today. Jesus said we are to reach ta ethne, panta ta ethne, all the unreached people groups. In your country, there probably are some unreached people groups. There are people maybe from other nations that have immigrated there. Even if you live in a country where the majority religion is Christianity, you have people, unreached people groups as a result of immigration, international students, you know, people coming uh, for different purposes. If you live and some of you actually live in an area right now, just, you know, I I know by because I know you where the majority religion is not Christianity. It might be Hinduism, might be Buddhism. So you are a minority. Christians are a minority. Some of you that are even on this zoom meeting right now. And so there are a lot of unreached people. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, last night and he lives in Thailand and he's an American. He's been working in China for years in the underground church and so on. And He was just telling me that the evangelical population in Thailand is 0.76%. And, you know, there's so many Christians that live there, even Western Westerners. And yet, um, by and large, that nation, which is predominantly Buddhist, has not been reached. So we, we have to recognize that this is the heart of God is that everyone would hear that all nations, you know, Revelation 7, 9, it talks about people from every tongue, tribe, nation, gathered around the throne, right? Paul said as an apostle in Romans 15, 20, that his calling and mission was was to go where people hadn't heard the gospel and he wouldn't he wasn't wanting to build on another man's foundation so this is very important we need to shift to reaching the unreached and many of us are frustrated because we've raised up christians that aren't disciples they're they're not like jesus and and they're religious and many times they they're not growing they've got um you know they're dealing with a lot of things and struggles and they've not been changing and and, you know, that becomes an issue, and we're catering to the same old group of, of Christians. And sometimes we get into this trap where we start becoming people pleasers because we don't want to lose them. Maybe they give money or we respect their opinion, their presence. And and uh, we just focus on, on just reaching the same old people. We've all heard the stories when um, a very well-known preacher or or maybe someone who is just very gifted moves into a community. And I'm talking about more in a nation where with the majority would be Christian. And uh, he, he starts a church or, and that church starts to grow. But as a result, the growth is in many instances is Christians leaving existing churches to join that church. So, Even though that happens, and there's maybe sometimes there's a valid reason for that, especially if the church is not healthy, ultimately, though, we're still not reaching the unreached. And this has to change, because this is what Jesus told us to do. We've got to go out and reach the unreached. And again, it doesn't just mean other ethnic groups. There might be people that are part of your ethnic group where you live that just don't understand the gospel even in western nations in a post-christian nation where people who who've born and raised you know uh and they're becoming more and more secular and and uh, em- embracing you know eastern religions and and wicca and and uh, the occult even in western nations is becoming more and more common so This is something that we have to address. We have to reach these people. We have to reach the atheists, the the agnostics as well, the Satanists. And we have to focus on them, even if they are of our own ethnicity, so to speak. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Let me just say the new metrics. You know, it used to be, and in many places it still is true, unfortunately, sadly, that we measure our success as in terms of our ministries our churches by church attendance how much money comes in tithes and offerings um the size of our buildings our facilities you know um and and so on and and we we look at this you know whether we we have a you know the pastor might be or the leader might be on media whatever okay how i guess we could say how many followers you have on facebook but Ultimately, the new the metrics, the new metrics, kingdom metrics, has nothing to do with that, right? Because even Jesus had many people leave him and forsake him. But what what are the new metrics? How do we measure effectiveness today? Well, I believe number one, it's are the people that we are discipling becoming more like Jesus Christ, Christ likeness. Luke six forty says, the student is not above the teacher." But when the student has been um, perfectly trained, he will be like his teacher. Romans 8, 29 says that we were uh, pre- predestined to be conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. First John 2, 6 says that if anyone abides in him, then he should walk as Jesus walked. John 14, 12 says that we should do the works Jesus did and even greater works. Right. We should be equipping. um and and discipling people who in turn will do the same, Second Timothy 2, verse 2. You know, not only do we make disciples, but we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, so who are raising up and equipping others. And then ultimately, are we reaching the unreached nation? Is the gospel going forth to the unreached people? In our Jerusalem, Judea, our province, our state, our Samaria, neighboring states, and we could say even other ethnic groups in our borders, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. This has to become our focus. So this is these are, these are very powerful paradigm shifts right Thanks here. Thanks
0: for joining us today at The Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. To learn more about the Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.